Hello and welcome to episode 6 of The Spoken Misc, the podcast about anything and everything, but mostly reconnecting with people. This episode is special because I'm here with my friend Michael. In this episode, we talk about coffee, childhood, why filmmaking, overrated movies, aliens, art, and lots of miscellaneous things in between. Welcome to the show, Michael. How are you? This is good. Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Wasn't expecting the how are you. It's okay. How are you? Uh, okay. I'm doing good. Um, thanks for having me. Awesome. I know we got a lot of questions to get through, uh, but before that, can you introduce yourself for people who might not know you? Um, my name is Michael Jarrett. I met Francisco at San Jose State while we were both studying film and television. Um, more specifically, I met Francisco at San Jose State in our first FPS production of Neighborhood Politics. Which is a story in itself. I totally forgot about that for a second there. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. Um, yeah. Um, are you dying to ask a question or can I start us off with something easy? Um, let's start it off easy. All right. Um, then I will start with one of my questions that is, uh, I guess, easy. Um, what is your guilty pleasure? Like, it could be a food, a show, activity, anything. What is your guilty pleasure? Um, If I had to say it quickly, it would be coffee. And I don't think it's too guilty of a pleasure. Um, But that's like the one thing that I definitely can't do without. And the one thing that um, I enjoy in the mornings and I enjoy on the weekends. I've been asked that before, like not guilty pleasures, but vices. Um, I'm like pretty happy to say that I don't have any strong vices. Like I like to balance myself out, but definitely can't do without coffee. (laughs) (laughs) You've got that addiction like every other person in America does. Exactly. So not too guilty about it, um, but that's definitely one of my pleasures. That and ice cream. Oh, ice cream. Oh, have you had like uh, coffee ice cream before? Dude, I love coffee ice cream. Lately, I've been on that uh, mochi hype. <laughs> nice. I I don't know how to feel about mochi. I always like, it weirds me out having that texture sometimes, you know? Right. Like, it's like, this isn't how ice cream should be. There shouldn't be any chewing. Yeah, it's definitely like if you have uh, sensitive teeth, I could see it not being the best for you. Yeah, it's a, it's still good though. It's really delicious. Um, cause uh, I asked you about guilty pleasures because I, I feel like everybody knows exactly what mine are and, right. <laughs> and <laughs> just in case you don't know, it is hot Cheetos. And I just wanted to know if like you had something like that and, uh, I guess it's coffee and that's great. I yeah. actually, um, gave up coffee pretty much recently um nice just for um like health reasons or it was no (laughs) (laughs) it's because um i i ran out of coffee like right around when uh the shelter in place started happening Uh uh-huh and i never felt like it was worth going outside the trip for so right. I was just like, uh, I guess, I guess I'll stop drinking coffee. I don't feel like getting it when I go get groceries. <laughs> and 
I honestly, I, I kind of realized something too, is that um, I had been drinking coffee pretty much like every day, like right. since like January. Um, and I realized it like really makes me anxious. Like it makes me a lot more anxious than I ever uh, expected it to be. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when it kind of like struck me as like, maybe I was trying to think of why do I feel so relaxed in the mornings now? And then I realized it's cause like my heart's not pumping like with a bunch <laughs> of energy because of coffee and I'm not going like a thousand miles a minute and I'm just relaxed. Calm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely feel the slight, for me, it's more slight anxiety, uh, but I definitely feel the jitters and I don't know, just in that morning, I love the kind of, having your brain firing on all cylinders. I'm a pretty, I I like to consider myself as a morning person. So having that like high energy right when I wake up, I feel I do a lot of my best thinking early morning. Yeah, I can definitely agree to that too. Like um, that's the one thing I kind of miss, I guess, from coffee. There's nothing quite like waking up with like a cup of coffee and just you're by yourself and you're chilling. It just feels nice. Enjoying it. Sorry, I'm I totally to cut you off. Really, <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I'll probably do it a few times during this podcast too, so no worries. All right, go. Um, I'm definitely trying to tone it back a little bit. Uh, um, now that I'm not in school, it's been easier to do, and not being on set as much with the uh, shelter-in-place order, definitely like easier to tone it down and just kind of get it to like a reasonable level. Nice. I feel like this uh, is shifting a whole lot of habits that people have in general. I, absolutely. And like me personally, I think a lot of it is for the better that like habit shift, um, just kind of having that moment to reset, at least for me. Um, I don't know everyone's situation, but uh, I've definitely had like a moment to just slow down and realize that hopefully the world's not going to end. Like, even if like, however things go through it, just like, it's okay to take a rest sometimes. Yeah, I can, I can definitely agree to that. That's kind of how I felt in the beginning of the shelter in place. Um, I mean, I've like, I feel bad because like my, uh, like day to day routine barely changed at all because, um, (laughs) (laughs) if I wasn't working on sets, I was pretty much just sitting in my room writing all day. And I, I've just been writing pretty much since the quarantine happened and that and playing uh, a bunch of video games a lot more than uh, I feel like I ever would get to after college or during college. And I'm kind of glad, but also at the same time, I want to do stuff. I want to, want to be yeah. out there creating. Um, and this is a good hobby and outlet for all of those things. Right. I mean, just because we have to be away physically doesn't mean that we have to not interact with everyone yeah exactly especially when we were like playing minecraft for the first few weeks yeah how's the uh western town coming along it hasn't been touched in like a month (laughs) i feel like everyone kind of got like um not bored but like moved on to like animal crossing and other games and they just uh put the town on pause yeah the joy will be re-sparked eventually one day it'll be okay (laughs) yeah i feel like minecraft's like one of those things that you can always go back to it exactly it's it is a pretty good game i'm glad you bought it like i was not expecting you to buy it like (laughs) 
I was so surprised when you actually started playing with us. I was like, what? Michael bought Minecraft? Dude, to be honest, that was my voice just crap. To, to be honest, that was like the first video game I bought since at least high school, probably freshman year of high school. I just never really was like super into video games. I enjoyed them growing up when I would play them with friends and stuff. It wasn't like one of my biggest hobbies. Um, but man, Minecraft is so fun. <laughs> <laughs> why is that? Why, why were you never really into video games? Um, I, it, I grew up um, with land. Well, not a whole lot, but like we had a decent sized backyard. And so we just always were encouraged by my parents to like go outside and be outside. And we had an area to like be kids. I grew up with two brothers, so we could just go out there and like ride bikes and ride skateboards and like bring kids over from our hometown and everything and just be free. Um, So it's just having that definitely was um, shaping me into like, it's more fun to go outside when you have a nice backyard or have like dirt to play in. Um, just entertain me. Then like from time to time, my mom would kick us out of the house, like for the day, just <laughs> you're not allowed inside until sunsets. So <laughs> whether that was cruel or not shaped who I am. Well, that's good. Uh, it's always nice to, I guess, have that kind of balance. I don't know. I was always that kid that never liked going outside. So I would stay inside and like watch movies and play video games all day because I was just like, eh, I don't feel like going outside today. Yeah. Video games has always been one of those things for me that I don't do often, but then when I do it, I binge. And then you take a break. Yeah. My brothers and I used to play Guitar Hero. Like we'd find a weekend and just play it the whole weekend and try to beat each other's scores and like, or uh, Gran Turismo back on the PlayStation 2. And oh, we'd wow. play it for that weekend. We'd play it for that weekend and then just like once we were done, we were done. And then that kind of happened with Minecraft. I like <laughs> hopped on and was like, super, I think I spend a good like six hours a day right when I first got it every day for like three weeks. Yeah, it was insane. You made the most progress out of anybody. I was really impressed. Um, but we got pretty <laughs> off topic. Not that it's a bad thing. It's This is a normal conversation. Things will go off the rails. Yeah. Um, but your turn to ask a question. Cool. Um, so I kind of alluded to what my childhood was like, and you kind of alluded to what your which was like, um, but I just want to explore that a little bit deeper and just see like what it was like for you growing up in Morgan Hill and um, just kind of what your childhood activities were and what that was like for you. Hmm. What was it like for me growing up in Morgan Hill? Um, I, I don't know. Like, it, I mean, obviously good because I'm not a terrible person. So that's the first answer. Good because I'm not bad i guess right um but it was always um kind of i mean uh i guess 
lonely. I know that's going to shock nobody. Um, but like there's, uh, like a specific point I remember in my childhood where uh, I switched schools Mm -hmm. and it was like super tough for me to make friends. And like I had, it was like, this was before cell phones were like rampant in everybody's like lives. And so like pretty much like all the friends that I had like switched from, from elementary school, I like completely lost because I wouldn't see them at school every day. Um, Right. And then going into the new school because it's like, the school year had already started. People already had their friend groups and their friends going on. And, um, it was very hard for me to kind of like wedge myself anywhere. It felt like, I mean, eventually I found friends and everything went well, but like even before like elementary school, I was always that kind of quiet kid that, um, the one that would read all the time, the one that was super shy about everything and everyone. And, because of that, I like never really sought out people to be friends with. It was always kind of like, Oh, I guess we're friends now. And, um, it wasn't actually until I think, uh, like halfway through high school or maybe even the beginning of, uh, college where I had, a uh, had like this, like awakening, I guess that I was like, you know what? I gotta, I gotta, break out of my show more. I got to start reaching out and start making friends again. Um, because that was always been like something that was difficult for me, I guess. Right. Well, it's like so interesting to how the synthesis of friendship happens. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I have, I have so many wild stories about how I met like some of my friends, like, um, well, like on a previous podcast, my friend Brody, like recalled specifically the exact day he met me, um, in, uh, when I switched schools and I was like, wow, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> um, so I was really like impressed because like, I, I remember a few like friendships that started. I remember one of my friends and I, uh, became friends because like we had like a mini fight or something like he had stepped on my hand or something or he had like done me bodily harm whether it was intentional or not I can't even remember um but somehow that like led to us becoming friends and I was like how the fuck did that happen how right it's the strangest things and then there's other times where it's like um that uh it's just like proximity and you become friends and you just kind of like go like, eh, you're okay. And then you just fall into a friendship. Like those ones are kind of funny too. I like those ones. Right. Just all of a sudden you're like, I guess we're friends now. We're hanging out. Yeah. Are, are there any like attributes that you look for specifically in friends or would you say it just kind of happens? I mean, I, I think I know uh, I try to look for, honesty like um because i like to think i'm a very honest person and sometimes maybe too honest um like i just don't have uh i just don't have patience for like liars or manipulators like people who um are two-faced i guess like those people always annoy the crap out of me and i could see them like a mile away um and i was always like nah, i don't 
I don't want you. You're not genuine. But I feel like all the people that I try to connect with and most people in general try to be genuine as often as they can. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much what I look out for. Like there's nothing that will stop someone from being my friend really. Like, except for, you know, super like crazy views. Right. Well, and I feel like friend people attract people that are similar or you find yourself gravitating to other people who are similar. And that's definitely true because I feel you're like you being very honest person and like very genuine, you're going to resonate with people who are genuine as well. And you kind of are going to hold people to the same standards that you hold yourself. Yeah. Like you, like you seek out people with similar values that you share, you know, to be around. Totally. Yeah. It's like the company you keep. Like I always hear that phrase, like uh, you are the company you keep. Like you are your friends essentially. And if you have like really bad friends who are like mean people, then that says something about you too. Like it's either you're like too afraid to stand up to them or you silently agree with them and you're kind of a mean person, but you don't want to really admit that to yourself. Um, Right. But thankfully. Yeah. If you want to like do, if you want to be better at something like surrounding yourself with people who are better than you at something, uh, or if you want to, like for me in, uh, when I got to college at San Jose state, like just being around those people who are so motivated and like artistic and creative in their own area, it kind of inspires you and you want to be like your friends. Oh so yeah. Your friends want to be like you and it's that perfect like connection. Exactly. Yeah, that's the one thing that I really loved about um, FPS, especially when it was like, when we were like not starting out, but when we were like in our, like not our prime, but when we were still figuring stuff out and we were still like learning, but we also knew enough to not feel like complete imbeciles whenever we were doing something. <laughs> um, yeah. And then we were all just like fired up to go and make a bunch of stuff. And that was fantastic. Um, because I don't think I ever had that, like, um, that excitement, I guess, with friends in, uh, uh, like elementary school or like even middle school, maybe a few times in high school, but like, it was different because this is what I want to do. You know, like this is my Mm -hmm. intended career and this is what I want to do for ever if I could. And Uh, yeah, that's just, it's just a great, a great excitement. I love that feeling of being surrounded by people who want to push you and also want to be pushed by you, I guess. Absolutely. Finding that common link and then exploring it together. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wish I had like um, mischievous stories from uh, childhood though. Like um, I don't think I have many and i don't know if this is it is oh God, this is a terrible <laughs> like sounding I love, thing i love where this is going like the <laughs> i i used to do um what i used to do when i was a kid um i used to prepare for the zombie apocalypse <laughs> like i used Same. to legitimately have a plan and had like a like a pseudo um survival kit basically of what was going to happen, how I was going to do things. Yep. And, um, I was like, like where you were going to shelter where like, Oh, 
Yeah, exactly. And I always, always used to say like, okay, I'm going to go to the top of Anderson Dam and I'm going to hunker down up there so I can have a good view of the valley. And so if anyone tries what's to like, coming. exactly, I could see what's coming. And then I have control over the water access and make sure that like I was always having water. And then <laughs> I was just going to wait people out. I'd be like, all right, like have fun down there. I'm going to be up here maintaining the water. Right. <laughs> Eating squirrels. Yeah. And the worst thing was that like I 100% at some points took it seriously. Like I was like, the zombie apocalypse is 100% going to happen and I need to be prepared. There was a huge zombie craze that went around like when we were in high school or yeah. kind of like I feel early high school when The Walking Dead came out and it seemed like every other week there was a new zombie film or franchise or attempt coming about oh yeah that was a that was a huge like fad i guess or trend back then Mm -hmm. and it makes me kind of sad that like to see it like you know dying and falling off but at the same time i'm kind of glad because stuff gets stale after being on for so long Um, it was kind of towards the end of it you're like okay i get it yeah it's like zombies aren't cool anymore guys let's chill i still love zombies i still love the idea and the uh fun of it um I i guess Sorry, I, I was cutting you off. Go for it. And I, I guess I can kind of like appreciate um, at least it's fi- their films a little bit more now that I'm an adult than I did as a kid who was just like, oh, that's gnarly. <laughs> they got like bit and blood's flying everywhere. Right. You understand more uh, the symbolism of it all. Or you yeah. read, in, read in into it more. I wouldn't be surprised if zombie films make a resurgence after the shelter in place is lifted. Oh, 100%. I expect so many pandemic movies and they're not going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you think? Did you see, um, what's that zombie movie? It's not, this is a horrible segue. Um, Swiss Army Man. Oh, I love What'd Swiss Army Man. I It is one of my favorite movies of, maybe not all time, you know, maybe of all time. Like, it's uh-huh. just so... I don't think I've ever seen a movie like it, um, which is good. Yeah. Um, like the premise is ridiculous. It's weird. It's, and it's crazy. Yeah. And the movie is ridiculous and weird and crazy. And it still has like good emotional beats and it still has <laughs> a cohesive narrative despite being so weird. And it's just well made too. Like it's not like, a B movie or anything. It's like 100% a good made movie, even though it's about a dude who's dead, <laughs> who is like a Swiss army knife. And well, it, it's just such a fun movie to yeah. watch, to be a part because it's so ridiculous, but it owns that and it does it really well that cause like, <laughs> A drama or something that's like supposed to be really serious if it doesn't live up to that expectation you're kind of disappointed yeah but a movie like swiss army man you don't expect it to be good but then when it is it just it takes you on a ride and you get so much enjoyment out of it yeah definitely agree that's what the best the best movies i've seen um have always kind of like um like, like how you said, take you along for the ride. 
Like yeah. whether that's a drama or an action movie or adventure or whatever, it like if you get sucked in to it and you're on a ride and you're just observing pretty much, um, like you get so lost in the screen, that is like peak. Um, this is a peak experience. Like I love when that happens in movies because a lot of the time I find myself like um, pulling myself out of it because of something. Um, mm-hmm. Or I'm like pointing something out that's wrong, maybe, or um, maybe like it's just not good. And I choose consciously to just ignore it because I don't like looking at this thing that isn't 100% amazing or, you know? Absolutely. And I think that especially our background being in film and studying it in college, that it's so easy to fall into um, seeing it for what it is technically or seeing it as a movie, but when the story can still transform you somewhere and you forget that you're watching a movie, um, those are the best ones. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, I got a question for you then. What moment made you realize you wanted to be a filmmaker and involved in the video, TV, film conglomerate industry? (laughs) The moment that... So I always really enjoyed being with cameras, um, using cameras, taking photos, like having memories. Um, It started with my brothers and I would steal my dad's camera and take it to like, go take photos of us riding bikes. And it was really bad. Um, (laughs) One of those like cameras where you would take a photo and then three seconds later, it would actually like take the photo so you'd hit the shutter and then three seconds later it would actually release the shutter and um we just would play around with that and then i in high school i kind of rediscovered that joy for it um and kind of began taking it to that next level and was taking classes and um, just recording. We used to do really black, really bad vlogs. Um, I feel like all and, vlogs are pretty bad, to be honest. Yeah, but this was like 2012, really bad oh. vlog. <laughs> the, the era of really bad vlogs. Exactly. And I took a multimedia class with um, this teacher, was probably the most influential for me in the sense that the class was really disorganized um, and just really free form. Um, as I can imagine, another class comes to your head as I say that. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. But just that freedom to explore and that freedom to like make of it what you will um, really inspired me. And one day that professor or that That teacher, this is high school, that teacher had a friend who was looking for a video to be made. It was like her husband's 80th birthday. And she had a bunch of old photos and wanted like a video put together of all of these memories. And I remember I got paid for doing it. And it was that moment where it kind of became a viable option of like, wait a second, I can do this for a living. I can do this thing that I really enjoy and actually make money off of it somehow. Um, And it wasn't 
necessarily the most like artistic and creative thing, but it was just learning. Like, I feel high school is that moment where you're lost and you're looking for which school you want to go to or what career you're going to go into. And you don't really know much about life. You don't have your 17, 18, you don't have that much life experience. And so it's stressful to have to choose. Yeah, um, definitely. So it was between that or becoming like a cook. <laughs> I was really into food and I took a cooking class at the same, to, at the same time that I took that multimedia class. Um, and I just was not as inspired by the t- cooking. So <laughs> this is hilarious to me. Like I could see young Michael with a fork in the road and one's like cooking and delicious foods or working with camera. I think that's wonderful. Um, kind of, um, um, it kind of contrasts from, I guess, my moment of realizing I want to be involved with filmmaking. Um, because my process took probably a lot longer, I guess, than you did. And maybe a lot of other people did. Cause like I didn't, in high school, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I really wanted to do. I had a lot of ideas, but I never really like, I guess, commit 100% to any of them. Mm -hmm. Um, like I wanted to be a psychologist. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be an actor. I want to be involved with movies. I wanted to write for movies and stuff. I wanted to write like Harry Potter books and stuff like that. And I was like, I could do all these things. No problem. This is easy. This is going to be okay. And I applied to go to San Jose State originally as a Bachelor of um, Science and Psychology. And during my first like semester, my first year, hold on, I'm going to let the cars pass. My window's open. I can't have this closed. Like, it's just not going to work yeah. out. But um, I remember my first semester, my first year of uh, college, I discovered very unfortunately and very quickly, I did not like this as much as I thought I would. I was like, this is, it felt draining. It felt like a chore. It felt like it wasn't me, you know? Right. Reality didn't meet the fantasy or the like, um, expectation. Exactly. And, um, and it wasn't to say I didn't find the subject fascinating or anything. Like I still love learning about the human mind, but um, I didn't feel, I guess, fulfilled. I didn't feel happy at all. Like I'm like, I, I have depression, so it's very hard for me to, um, I guess find, or I was very depressed then too. Um, I'm much better now, but like back then I was, it was very hard for me to find any like silver lining in anything that I was doing at the time. And then I took like a screenwriting class and I wrote a script, like not for like legitimately, I guess for the first time and not just me putting words on a word document and pretending it's a script. Um, like I did back in high school. (laughs) But, um, after that class, I kind of realized like, this is, this is what makes me feel good. And this is what I want to do. And 
And then that semester that I realized that I took after I took that screenwriting class, I joined FPS. I went on my first set. I was like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. I want to stay awake for 16 hours making a movie. This is not torture at all. I would come to learn to hate that. But at the time I was like, this is the coolest shit ever. This is amazing. I want to do this forever. And then it just, it really motivated me to explore more of this medium that I always was like gravitating towards, but never really felt like I had the ability to be involved in. Right. Um, when you then, realize, oh, go ahead. No, go for it. I was just going to say, when you realize that like something can make you so passionate or like so excited to learn more. Yeah, exactly. And once I kind of made more of an effort um, in it, I realized like I liked the way that, um, that movie sets were run in all aspects and like not even just movie sets and um, like, I guess a semi-professional level, but like just like having fun with friends and making stuff just for yourselves. And I made my first short film. Like I wasn't sure if I was going to like even like participate really. And then I just said, you know, what, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to make this short film. And then I realized like, yeah, this is, it cemented it. Like, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to live my life. This is what I, not necessarily what I felt born to do, but this feels like what I'm compelled to do, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because I like, honestly, like my moods shifted from, to a, from a, from, I'm trying to find a accurate uh, idiom or something. I had a whole personality 180. Like I started, becoming more confident and sort of becoming more passionate as a person. Mm -hmm. I felt happier in general. And it, it comes down to the, the, the simple fact that I was telling the stories that I always wanted to tell. I always liked telling in the medium that I didn't realize was, I guess, the perfect one, you know, for the kind of stories I like to tell. Right. Cause like I, I, I've written a bunch of different ways, a bunch of different things. And screenwriting was really the one where I was like screenwriting and directing because they're, they're the kind of storytelling I like to do because it, when I write something on the page, I already know exactly what else is happening. And I like to imagine that. And I don't have the capacity to uh, let my claws off of the script and off of the story because no one else knows the nuances like I do, which is very bad because I know you're supposed to be able to sell your babies as a screenwriter, but um, being a director is part of that storytelling and that filmmaking aspect too. Like I know um, I will try to uh, direct everything I write and I feel like that's intentional because there's aspects of like, um, I guess myself, because I like working with people. I like collaborating a lot. Um, and making something together was always a great feeling for me too. Um, whereas something like making a novel or making um, a screenplay is just you by yourself and you're just like typing stuff out. And it's not as, um, it's not as fun, I guess. Right. 
not like not as rewarding maybe yeah not as rewarding yeah well it's funny how you say you had a huge mood shift as you discovered filmmaking because something really similar happened to me um the year prior I just was not as motivated not like a little just feeling lost I guess and um my grades were suffering um I wasn't doing my homework uh just wasn't in general just not really caring about school um mm-hmm. and then as I started taking those classes like more media focused classes and discovering the passion um it changed my outlook on everything aside from that I was like you know, now I want to do really good in my other classes so that I can go and spend time in my media classes. I want to, um, like pursue, um, understanding these things and get my homework done over there so that I can go and focus over here. And it just gave me like so much more motivation, having that passion and like feeling as though I had a purpose and an application. Um, and I went from getting straight C's to getting straight A's the following year um, once I had that, like, focus. Nice. Way to go. Thanks. So it's funny how just finding that thing that you really enjoy um, can help you get enjoyment out of other things in your life. Um, Yeah. My whole, not mantra, but, like, outlook on film and why I've, enjoyed it so much is because you can learn anything like you can through the medium you can go and learn um about anything in life you can make a video on it you can go and become a part of a group that you may normally may normally never be a part of um with the purpose of like having a camera and documenting it um mm-hmm. And it goes even farther from just documenting things that happen uh, to like, like when I went into college, I got really involved with the um, engineering department. It was like making videos for them, doing documentary promotional type of content. And then eventually felt as though I just hit a point where I wasn't surrounded by other filmmakers. And so I was, learning on my own, which is great. And having that, um, platform, I learned a lot. I learned so much about myself and about engineering, about life experiences that I would have never had. Um, but then when I went over to film, I started to learn like the emotional side of myself and started to learn much more empathy and retelling other people's stories like not documenting it, but telling it um, and creating them based off of things that you know was a super exciting experience as well. Yeah. I love it when um, doing something allows you to grow like as a person. Right. When you can just explore things and learn about yourself and learn about other people and, I feel like filmmaking is something that is so powerful 
both for the maker and for the audience in that respect. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I, I think it's impossible to kind of like, um, not try to impart a lesson whenever you make something, you know, or impart something, um, Mm -hmm. like whether that's an emotion or a feeling or a, um, sometimes a message or, um, information even, um, like our craft, I guess is what I would call it, um, allows us to leave people with something. And I really, I really, and knowing you leave something like, Mm -hmm. because other people are helping you make this and they either portray it accurately or they also probably, (laughs) uh, feel the same things that you're trying to impart. Right. Well, and I think one of the most powerful things about all of storytelling, and I think that film is, um, a very powerful way of storytelling, but you create, you cause your audience to experience something and like, you can tell people, you know, cliches or like ways that they should live life or the ways that they should view something. But by telling a story, you can make them experience that and then come out of it with the lesson whether that lesson is the same as yours or not, um, you can just like give them that experience and put them in someone else's shoes and create empathy. Yeah, exactly. I think that, um, I think that, um, it's a very powerful tool for that. Like, um, I don't know how many times I felt like I love when uh, you come out of a movie and you feel like you've changed, I guess. Or like yeah. you've, you you just feel something from it. Like what, like um, I, I think I'm going to use two examples. Like when I came out of Interstellar um, for the first time after seeing it in theaters, I was like blown away. I was like, I love this movie. Like I can like see its flaws. I can see, I guess, where things went wrong. But like the feeling that was imparted in me, the emotions I felt afterwards, that's the important part not necessarily I guess how scientifically accurate the movie is or how um, ridiculous some of the writing is, but like that emotion is what I take and keep from a whole lot of movies. Um, And the other example, I guess is Endgame, Avengers Endgame. And like, it felt like for the first time in a really long time that this film was like a huge social experience like to participate in it was like not i'm not going to equate it exactly to going to the coliseum in rome in ancient times and watching something there but it kind of felt like like an arena event you know like something that you should not miss out on and a whole lot of people felt the same exact way and that was mind-blowing to me it was the most like uh, it was the biggest box office in all of history and it was a cool movie. It was like, obviously you can find flaws in anything. You can pick apart, you can nitpick things. You can say the story's weird, bad, whatever, but leaving that theater made me feel so good. So great. Like 
I believed and felt like I believed in superheroes again, like a kid. And that is amazing. It's an amazing feeling. I love that. Yeah. Being able to be transported somewhere else and just feeling so many emotions. Yeah, exactly. So I have another question for you and maybe a bit of a, um, mood shift depending on your answer but what is your current relationship with film or the film industry um i know that the answer now may be different than the answer three or four months ago but like yeah what's your current relationship well hmm. it's one i guess i would say for everybody that is in filmmaking, there is no relationship because nobody's doing anything except for, I guess, um, I guess very important, like social projects right now, like, uh, documenting, uh, nurses or something or doing news reels and stuff like that. Um, and for the most part, other people aren't really doing a whole lot. Um, and it was, I felt, I, I hated this virus because I was just this year starting to become, I think, feeling like I was on more solid ground with it. Like, um, I had found my, um, my motivation to work a lot more and, um, the ability to, um, start planning for future projects that I wanted to do for myself with this, uh, uh, work. And then, you know, I worked on something that was pretty big and it was really cool. And then the virus happens. And now I, haven't worked since and it bugs me and it uh it sucks because like i don't want to work anywhere else i don't want to work in anything else and it's just um it's just unfortunate that like i can't really do much about it because like like if you do go to work on a set it involves it's it's a collaborative medium so it will have a lot of people and if you have a lot of people while well, there's a disease, disease going on that disease will travel it's bound right. it's inevitable um and then on the other hand it's like we don't work as often as i guess other people do um or it's not as like um 100 consistent day in day out i'm sure some people that work in studios and work in uh, bigger projects have the exact same day for like months at a time, but that's the thing. It's like not piecemeal, but it's um, feast or famine. Yeah, pretty much. Like if you're on a show or something, you probably have a couple of months of like good solid steady work and you learn a lot and you get a lot of um, benefit from that. But then there's like the weeks and months where there's like nothing lined up or there's nothing scheduled for yourself. and um, that's pretty much like a week or two when you're not working on anything and it, it sucks. Um, but, uh, I'm glad that I kind of found my balance with it. it was, a, it was pretty much just work on all the sets you possibly can. And then when you can't work on them or when you aren't working on them, when you want your own break, um, just write. And it really like became like the glue between, uh, I guess the sporadic moments and I've been way more consistent with it now. Um, 
but I was just getting excited about it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to fucking do this. This is going to be my fucking year. I'm going to do a lot of cool shit. And then nope, pandemic happens and we're all stuck inside our homes. Um, Yeah, we survived the first year, which was supposed to be the hardest. Yeah, exactly. And then, (laughs) no, the second year is your hardest. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. This pandemic is the hardest. Congratulations. And the thing that sucks is too, is that once work starts up again, um, like there's a lot of stuff that's on the backlog. So things are going to get pushed. Things are going to get moved. Things are going to be shifting and it's going to be kind of chaotic, I guess, going back Absolutely. in. And I don't know. I'm kind of waiting out to see what the news was going to say about, um, how things spread after everything gets lifted just, I guess, play it by ear. But, Absolutely. um, I'm ready to go back. I want to work. I don't hate being in front of my desk writing all the time. And I don't hate playing video games and watching Netflix all the time, but like, I want that feeling of work. I like, I like working. Yeah. And getting from fulfillment, of your day exactly um but writing's fine too writing is always an exercise in to how i would become a better uh filmmaker better director and it just kind of motivates me even more too to keep at it you know like um mm-hmm. like there's stuff i want to do and there's stuff that i i feel like i need to do and so it kind of pushes me to keep trying and putting in that effort. I remember having a conversation with Gabby like a while back. Um, and I was really upset because I felt like I was not, um, I like, I wasn't happy with what I was doing because I like, because I'm, it's a very different, um, I guess situation to you because, um, you're pretty adept at using camera stuff. And so people might, um, include you on like cam teams and stuff like that. But, uh, trying to do something in production means you have to start as a PA unless you have people who will put you in higher spots and trying to, I guess, compete with your fellow filmmakers for just to show your adequacy. Um, it sucked. It, It felt bad. It made me feel bad. It made me feel really horrible about myself for a while. And I remember telling Gabby that like, I, I remember telling her like crying pretty much going like, I, I really hate being a PA. I don't want to do this anymore. Like this is so frustrating. Like this is irritating um, because I've been belittled. I've been talked down to, I've been stressed. I've been overworked. I've been underslept. It just, it drained me a lot. And even though it sucked, it kind of motivated me for the future to 100% not be like that once I am in charge of something. Um, And it kind of gave me more of a resolve to, I guess, change a little bit of the things that I know I disliked from this industry. Like it really bugs me just how much okay with shitty situations people are and it's irritating seeing that 
But as long as I know that I'm resolved to, once I have that ability to shape young budding filmmakers that I will not make the same mistakes that the people who hired me did. And I will try to be better than them. And I, I think this year is when I kind of like found more solid ground, I guess, in that future and in that type of feeling. Cause I don't feel that way anymore. I mean, I still feel overworked, but like, a lot of people do. So I kind of get over it a bit. Um, but I'm more resolved to be like, nope, this is going to change. I'm going to change this. Yeah. And I feel like once you get the technical down, some, like to some extent, once you understand the flow of a film set, like once you understand your fundamentals, that re- really is the biggest hurdle um learning the it's the biggest hurdle but it's also should be the simplest it's just being a good person on set and knowing like how to get the best out of people and how to make the whole experience enjoyable for everyone um and at the end of the day like if everyone's happy like it it's so easy to fall into that trope of like, you need to be fast. You need to like get everything done as soon as possible because as you know, film sets have extreme time pressures. Um, If you don't make your day, that's it. Like you just, you don't, you miss out on those shots. You miss out on that aspect of the story. Um, but I think when you have everyone all on the same team and everyone's really working together um, and enjoying being together, that's where things like hit high gear. That's where things really pick up and you hit that unison. And similar to, I assume, playing in a band where like everyone <laughs> is grouping together and you're hitting the notes at the same time. Um, like smooth is fast. Not yeah. like if you go fast, you make mistakes, you're rushing, you're yelling at people, you're getting frustrated. That's not going to work faster. Sometimes slowing down actually is faster in the long run. Now it was something that like this past year I was working so much on and like just discovering the most about was like working with people and, and like finding that that groove with everyone and it's tough because everyone is different and you have some people that are go 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 and other people who want to slow down a bit and um every personality type can be on set all at the same time and figuring out how to make the best of everything that you have available to you yeah and not treating people like shit yeah like that synergy is um, I think that that type of feeling that I want to have on every film set that I work on from my own, I guess, projects, because um, this is especially around um, uh, like around when we were making um, well, around when we were making a low budget. Um, I think that was like when we hit a really good like rhythm for everybody. Like it was just like, 
it was like chaos. It was chaotic, but yeah. it was like um, more fulfilling because we all under, we all respected each other. We all understood the work we had to do and we all put in that effort and then we all had fun. And that was like, I think to this day, still probably one of my favorite like sets ever. Like it was just Same. a really good experience. Like this is exactly how I want to make films. Like this is what I want it to be like. And it's still a goal that I want to have in the future. Like to make everything like that point. My my friend um, Elizabeth asked me about what was like a, like a party situation that was um, uh, that went up being a good story. And I, and I told her about pretty much the, that experience because it felt like um it didn't feel like work like it it transcended that point where it's like yes it is work and it, it we are making something but it's so fun and fulfilling that you don't even register it as work like the long nights mean meant jack like the stresses of the day meant nothing like i can't remember what i was stressed about during them because i can only remember the good parts i always it was a horror film but i always forget that it was all overnight every single day yeah and it should have been absolutely horrible and it was the most fun and rewarding time i'd had on set and i think a lot of people would agree with that i think that that set we hit a really good groove it was still a shit ton of work um, and it wore us out in the moment. But looking back, I think it was one of the most rewarding things I personally had done. No, I definitely agree too. Um, Which kind of, I guess is going to, it's kind of what motivates me to, to make my own projects again. Like that was the one thing that I'm kind of sad. I don't get to do this year because of Corona. Um, Like I was, uh, planning on this summer and making another short film i was planning on making just anything right. something that would be good enough to warrant getting people to help me out and to make it um but then also something where we would just have a bunch of people that we worked well together and that that worked well together and that wanted to be there because they also too wanted to have that kind of like that outlet from our busy work um, and life schedules. And I'm kind of bummed that I don't get to, to make anything. Um, I won't probably get to make anything for a while, but uh, I made this, Um, this is hiding, tiding, uh, holding me over, I guess, until I can again. New areas for exploration. Um, And I think that, it'll make us all better filmmakers in the end having like almost being put on on a filmmaking diet and having to go explore other areas of our life for hopefully a short period of time in the grand scheme of things um, will translate over into our filmmaking. Like for you, this podcast reconnecting with all these different people, hearing these different stories and, reliving moments of your past i'm sure have sparked a lot of ideas and a lot of like just getting your brain thinking in a way that it may not have been thinking prior to you know slowing down and changing your lifestyle for a bit 
I, at least I hope that some good comes out of it. No. Yeah. A lot of good has already come out of it. Um, because like, uh, like I said, this podcast was about reconnecting with people and it wasn't, um, something I took lightly, I guess. Like I realized that I have a lot of different people, kinds of people in my life. And I'm like, how did I, I guess, get to know them and how can I get to know them better? Um, because I love telling people, uh, tell, telling stories about people. Like that has always been my favorite thing. That's always what I've been my bread and butter whenever I wrote anything. Um, and I didn't talk to people in a long time. And I was like, I don't know what anybody's up to. And right. I don't know what they're, what's going on in their lives. And I don't know what's happening. You know what? This is a good way to segue into one of my, I have two questions that I guess I could kind of segue to. Do you want the deeper one or do you want the fun one? Uh, let's make it fun again. All right. What famous or artistic movie do you think is completely overrated? Uh, uh, so I'll start by saying, admitting to what most of my filmmaking peers already know about me, but I'm not the biggest movie buff. Um, oftentimes I am behind on the latest films or just general good films that I should see. Or shows. Um, or shows. Like, didn't exactly. you just get into Game of Thrones, like, during this shelter in yeah. place? Yeah, I'm on season four. So I'm making progress. I was making progress, and then I shifted. I'm currently watching uh, Silicon Valley. Great show. Silicon Valley Hilarious. is fantastic. I think they rushed so, the ending, though. But um, okay. I digress. Don't tell me I'm getting close. <laughs> I won't. Um, but... The movie that I was really disappointed with, um, and that's not to say that I think it's a bad movie. I think any movie that you have fun with or that like entertains you is a good movie. Um, but I didn't like Ad Astra. Huh. It was it was just a little bit. Um, which is like, I loved Interstellar and I love space exploration movies and I expected to really like that movie, but it just didn't click with me. It didn't resonate. Um, so yeah, that's the one that I just didn't get. People I mean, disagree I'd... with me, then I'm, it's okay. It's fine. I mean, if once, if I, once I tell mine, people are definitely going to disagree with me, but like, I never saw Ad Astra. Like it never, um, it never looked like, terrible to me it just was something that i guess i never wanted like i never made the effort i guess to go see um yeah so i can totally see if it didn't grasp you because like i usually get one trailer in and i'm like ooh, i want to see that or i'm like or i can tell pretty easy like oof this is gonna be a train wreck um or oh this movie's gonna be bad um yeah i'm not overly harsh on movies like there's so many movies that I hear people say they didn't like or they nitpick. And I'm just like, I had fun. That was cool. There were good parts in it. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but like Ad Astra was just one of those ones that it wasn't quite fun enough to forgive its mistakes or forgive plot holes or things that just didn't make sense. So 
Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That's my take on it. What's your uh, your overrated movie? 2001 A Space Odyssey is, I think, one of the most overrated movies. <laughs> I watched it three times. How dare you? <laughs> Just kidding. I, I mean, yeah, I've watched it through three times. So I, I feel like I have every ability to talk the way I'm talking right now. I and applaud you for watching that movie three times. I, I, I'm not <laughs> applauding myself. That was not, considering I don't really have like a fondness for the movie. I don't think that's a fun thing. Um, but like, I, I, I know why I don't like it as much as I feel like I should appreciate it, I guess. It's because um, I'm coming at it from a millennials late gen z early gen z whatever the fuck we are um perspective and i we grew up with like a bunch of sci-fi media and a bunch of other um stories that um explore some of the concepts to it and when i watched it it was in high school for the first time and it's it it felt very dated. It felt very, uh, for lack of a better term, old. And um, that's not to say it wasn't well-made. It's not to say it wasn't interesting to watch. But I was falling asleep during the first <laughs> act, and that says something about your movie. And I love brainy movies. I love movies that make you think. And it still put me to sleep. And that's that shouldn't be happening <laughs> um and no. like and like i've seen like movies that are very um like abstract kind of like it like um i've seen koya niskatsi and i love that movie like it's, it's i think it's fantastic but um when i rewatched uh 2001 a space out and see recently um because i've been trying to watch a bunch of um meaningful sci-fi movies to kind of uh kickstart my motivation to write better sci-fi um i rewatched it and even with all of the added knowledge of being an adult now <laughs> i still yeah. thought it was overrated i and it and it makes me feel bad because like you want to what you want to like it yeah i do i do want to like it but it just feels It feels like I maybe like maybe I I bit into the hype, like the filmmaker hype, like oh it's amazing, it's the best sci-fi movie ever. I, like perhaps I bought into that too much, and it never lived up to that expectation. But at the same time, like maybe it's just not as good as everyone says, and anybody who disagrees can fight me, and that's fine. <laughs> you can disagree. That's Totally okay with it. Um, I will say the photography in it is amazing. Oh yeah, its cinematography is amazing. But and that is all that I will say about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. Like I, I like I, I. It's great in a lot of respects. Like when they made the space station, um, that's a fantastic set piece. And the shot where he's like walking through the corridor, um, that like infamous one. It's awesome. It's great. How's a great character. Um, yep. 
But that's the thing. I know Hal's name. I don't know anybody else's name because I don't care about them because it's, I just did not, there, there wasn't much time to, I guess, care. Yeah. Um, I love, like, I love that story. Uh, when we're working on a script, working on one of our 170 ideas and we're in Starbucks and that lady asked us if we were filmmakers and asked us if we liked 2001 Space Odyssey and <laughs> proceeded to tell us how um, her roommate in college would use that movie when he would Netflix and chill because you just end up not watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. And that's kind of the same thing. Like, like you got to be up for the movie. Like you got to be up for yeah. like 100%. And if you're not up for it, then you're not going to enjoy it. Like Gabby's tried to watch it a couple of times and she's, she's, she's like me. She doesn't like it either. And this is coming from people who really love sci-fi. Like I, like, like, I don't know if it's just like Stanley Kubrick style that I don't particularly resonate with. But or, the shining, but I haven't seen the shining movie. Yeah, uh, I, need to I, see the I know, I know. It's on my list. It has been on my list yeah. for like two years. <laughs> Gonna get to it eventually. Um, for that movie that I just didn't resonate with, but then I look at something like Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and that movie blows me away, and I'm captivated through every second of it. And same with that the original slow. Blade Runner. Yeah, and it's so super too. slow. That movie yeah. is slow, and that's the thing. Uh, like it is very uh, slow, but it still kept me invested. I guess. And I don't know if that's whether it was the direction itself, it was the set design, or if it was the story. Um, it engrossed me a lot more than I think 2001 did. And maybe it's the themes too. But yeah. I don't know. I always thought it was overrated. Fair. That's fair. I, actually, I used to think Citizens Kane was overrated too. And I feel bad about that one because, like, up until <laughs> they, like, I watched the movie, I was like, this movie's overrated, and I was watching, and I was like, okay, like, I can see why people like it, it gave us this stuff, and that stuff, and I'm like, okay, I can see why it's appreciated, but it's still kind of whatever to me, and then they showed the last, like, scene, and the last line, and or the last shot of yeah. uh, Rosebud, and I was like, oh, Aww. oh my fucking god, this is gold why was i a dick to this <laughs> and then it like clicked in me like i'm glad that no one spoiled it for me like no one said like um oh slide right. or something and right that movie is that's such a great point that i'd never thought about is how that movie's never been spoiled yeah or maybe i'm sure it has maybe but like for me i've never seen the sixth sense nor will i ever see it because it's been spoiled beyond like belief. Yeah, I was literally talking to um, Gabby about this uh, yesterday, and how like we're never gonna watch it because there's no point because the twist is coming, and I you know it. Yeah, I know it. And the journey for at least M Night Shyamalan movies was the twist. Like it's not about the buildup; it's about that twist because that's how he's made his movies for right. the most part. And once that twist is gone, there's no drive to see it. There's no want i guess yeah yeah like for the most part i don't mind spoilers like okay like i know that's coming but there's so much more to a story other than the twist 
but a movie like Sixth Sense, Ellie, like I'm probably wrong. Yeah, I'm probably wrong, and it's a great movie, but I just feel like everyone talks about how amazing the twist was, and like they didn't see it coming. Well, I mean, I'll see it coming. Yeah, and so it won't be a surprise to me. And then yeah. I'll, I'll lose some enjoyment, you know? That's why I like I feel I feel like spoiling movies sucks. Uh, Such a dick thing to do. Yeah. I spoiled the uh, grand finale of The Walking Dead for people when it came... Uh, not the grand finale, the season five finale for The Walking Dead when it came out. On purpose? Yes. And uh, you dick. Yes, but also it's because I really fucking hated the producers. And I still do to this day. If I ever work for them, I'm going to be very livid with myself. Um, but <laughs> like so passive-aggressive. I would be very passive-aggressive because I just think they... I do not agree with their story decisions. I do not agree with anything that they had done for the season five finale. I was like, no. All right. I'm off the wagon. I'm done with this. I'm done with the show. Everyone right. else can hate me for this, but spoilers. And I, <laughs> I got people pretty pissed <laughs> off and I'm like, first of all, this is all in the comic books. Like right. this specific moment is in the comic books. This was going to be happening whether you wanted it to or not. And the only thing they did to change up and shake it up and make it more dramatic was they killed two people instead of one. <gasps> and I'm like, it's not about the numbers. It's not about the death. It's about who is dying. And it's about the impact that has on the characters. But no, they had to do the TV show ratings route, which is, ooh, who died? Ooh. <laughs> and i was like fuck you i know who dies i know exactly what's happening fuck all of you i hate these producers i don't hate them i very much dislike their decisions right but if they're hiring i mean uh, yeah but if you're hiring i'm don't know why the fuck you'd want to work with me after hearing that but maybe you appreciate uh, honesty uh, <laughs> free um okay i'm gonna shift topics now Go for it entirely um do you believe in aliens i answered this on uh an empty episode with my friend liz in more detail oh, no. no don't worry like <laughs> your your question's still fine um because you had follow-up questions and you had other stuff to talk about um but what i said with her was um yes i well it's not like i believe in them it's more like i would i'm a if I were a betting man, I would bet that there is life elsewhere in the universe. Um, whether that's intelligent life, I won't bet on. But like if there's microbes and like single cell organisms on some random planet in some random sector of the Milky Way, I'll, I'll be like, yeah, probably. <laughs> but like, I don't think that like they visited us. I don't think that like the UFOs we see are aliens. I don't think that people have been abducted. Um, and this is coming from someone who like loves the idea of all of those things. Like right. I 100%. I was totally expecting a different answer. Not even going to lie. Yeah. I'm glad <laughs> I surprised you then because I love those ideas so much. Like I used to be super uh, obsessed with them back in like middle school and like early high school. Like I used to come home and I used to turn on the TV, go to the history channel and watch ancient aliens and all the Bermuda triangle conspiracy things and like hunting for Bigfoot and all that stuff. 
because I 100% bought into it. I was like, Bigfoot's real. The Loch Ness Monster's real. And aliens are abducting people. This is all happening. And then, as you know, you grow up and then you start like rationalizing thing and realizing that like, even though these things are fantastical and you want them to be real, they're not necessarily real. And they're probably just exactly that people being fantastical and being imaginative. And so I took all that basically and turned it into my story or my so, main story. So then what do you make of the Pentagon? And they're, they're not recent. They've been like released. They've been on YouTube for years, but the Pentagon confirming the UFO videos. What's your rationalization on that? Well, actually, um, as soon as those videos came out, um, there was uh, a video that I watched from a YouTuber who kind of um, debunked what we were seeing, what those videos were showing. Because you know how they show shapes that look vaguely UFO-ish and look like flying saucers and stuff like that? Um, he went into detail about how certain types of cameras on certain types of military vehicles, if something's very far away, um, it distorts the image because they're not using like the most like super advanced cameras that they can. They're using like infrared cameras or something to... Um, to scope out ahead, but if something's very far away, it, the image will get distorted no matter what. Like this happens on everything. Even your eyes will distort stuff if it's super far away. Um, and all the distortions that were seen in this video, all the things that were quote unquote UFOs could easily be explained by distant planes, um, like balloons, objects that are day to day things. And the way that they explained it and how it worked, I was like, yeah, this what well, is probably 100% what it is. Cause if they were 100% like unidentified flying objects, like from a different planet, we would not know. They would not willingly disclose that information because it would cause chaos. So, I know one of your questions for me was whether or not I believe in conspiracy theories. And I'll be honest, the UFO and alien thing, I'm a full believer. Oh, so you <laughs> believe that like they have aliens at Area 51? Oh, 100%. And I feel like maybe that's just me wanting to believe, but man... Some of those first-hand accounts are pretty, uh, pretty, like, they're so easy to to eat up. And, um, like, hearing pilots talking about seeing it and, like, knowing, like, trusting them. And, I don't know, like, watching the those uh, Joe Rogan podcasts that he had with, like, the military pilot who saw the um, the Tic Tacs and um, just like Element 115 and the whole Area 51 that came of it. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Like conspiracy theories are such a slippery slope because if you're wrong, you like look crazy. But if you're right, like... Like people's worldviews will like change completely. 
Yeah. And like you said, um, there is without a doubt in my mind, life out there. Like the universe is just so expansive. And if it happened once, like just the sheer probability of it could happen again. Um, and sure whether or not it made contact with us or has been here is, I guess, up for debate. I mean, but it doesn't seem like it's up for debate for you. <laughs> <laughs> I believe. Um, and I think that like it, you should question everything that um, you see. And I think that goes both ways, like with conspiracy, like you shouldn't just like take it as, oh, they're, they're not real. Like if they're real, the government would tell us, like government doesn't tell us a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. And I don't know, like I, I for sure don't believe in Sasquatch. Um, How dare don't. you? Bigfoot lives in Canada right now. He's on vacation. Yeah, he's on vacation. Um, but I feel like UFOs is one of those things that's crazy, but it's not that unbelievable. Yeah. And that's a, a it's it's pretty much that point of what you say. Like I I want to believe, and yeah. it's probably my my favorite thing that came out of the X Files um, was that like like that wants like the exact want to believe is very powerful because um like when you listen to like abduction stories and stuff like that um coming from like a psychologist point of view um even though i'm not a psychologist from like a psychology background i guess um it kind of always sounds like it's some trauma that they're trying to rewrite to explain to themselves like a story they're telling themselves to like mitigate the damage of what might have actually happened um, or it's some like undiagnosed like mental health issue. And it's like, not necessarily like you don't believe them. It's like you, you wish that they, that what they were saying was 100% the truth because it's a lot, I guess, Strangely, it's easier to stomach than the truth is than the truth might be, you know, like that something bad happened to them and they're trying to explain it through this instead right. of the real way. Um one, that was kind of always my approach, but to like when you see when you hear accounts of people talking about it who are well sounding, who mm -hmm. don't seem crazy, like sure mental illness and like you can hallucinate things or you, like the people might be making certain things up for attention and whatnot. But yeah. then when you like just watching like the ancient history type of stuff or um, I don't, I don't remember the two names of the people that have recently come out um, talking about it. The guy who um, did, uh, like, um, what's it called? The guy who was talking about Area 51. Um, like, if you oh, are you talking about video, Bob Lazar? Yeah, Bob Lazar. Oh, yeah. I like his documentary, fascinated me. I love, I loved it. Like, yeah, like it's just very interesting to hear those accounts because, like I said, I, I want to believe I'm super skeptical about everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. and 
I, I guess that's good. I think I became uh, very skeptical because I felt like I was very gullible as a kid watching those shows, honestly. Mm. And then when I realized, um, when people would tease me for liking him, I guess too. And then once I realized that, um, there's a probably a better way to rationalize things. Um, it's so easy to like, because conspiracy theories are so far out there, like something such as aliens are so far out there that it's like so easy to pick on someone for believing in it. Or like there's a certain stigma that people have. um, If you are like you said, people will call you gullible or call you crazy, like for believing Mm -hmm. in those type of things or they'll cast, they'll say, Oh, it's mental illness or whatever. But like Bob, Lazar and the pilot uh, who accounts for the Tic Tac, like they don't seem like crazy people to me. Well, that's the thing. Um, Like people can also completely fool themselves into believing whatever they're saying. And that happens with like demagogues. It happens with world leaders. It happens with religious leaders. And I'm not saying that they're lying. I'm not saying that they're making false accounts, but like, it's always better to have healthy skepticism because when I think of UFOs, I don't necessarily immediately jump to aliens. Like I want to believe, like I want to prove that this is 100% unexplainable. And that is where the ability to believe in aliens comes forth. And I love that. Like when I see like um, people posting videos onto the UFO or alien subreddit and like, it's a very, it's like very hard to explain what's happening. And the people in the comments love pointing it out too, because there's people just like me that are like, they want to believe, but they will make sure that everything is checked for and accounted for before you state it as a fact. And like people point out all the time, like, oh, this video is not a UFO. This is a balloon that is put up in the air uh, around this time for this reason. And it was around that time in this space that you recorded this. And then it, I think I like that because it kind of weeds away like the easily explained or the more easily explained videos and proof, I guess that's out there where people think that people claim as proof. Um, right. And then it leaves that like that really great, amazing gray area where it's like the only thing people can really say is, I, I don't know, because like, yeah, and we won't know until like, we won't. an alien smacks us in the face and like comes yeah. out and says, like, we're right here. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I love that gray area. Like, it makes me, it, it makes me happy because that's where I want, like, that's where I love playing in, I guess, whenever I watch those shows. And that's exactly what the area that I'm playing in with my main story, Alien Boy. And um, it's, it's fun for lack of a better term. It's fun (laughs) thinking about this stuff. Like even if you don't truly, I guess in your deepest soul believe in uh, intelligent beings visiting earth, the idea of it is still fun and it's still wonderful to explore because the alien story is so common in our media, in our movies, especially um, that you just kind of want to imagine 
And I love that part. Yeah. Um, and as far as UFOs go, though, it's like. I, I also think that UFOs aren't necessarily like aliens either, but like high secret tech that like the government doesn't want to share with competitors and competitive nations. So like um, from. From growing up, I used to think that Area 51 had aliens and they lived there forever. And then as I grew up, I kind of more realized, I kind of came to the conclusion that um, it probably wasn't aliens, but it was definitely like super secret stealth tech. Like the Blackbird came out of Area 51. And like, that was super high and advanced technology of the time. So like, what's going on now? And maybe a lot of these UFOs that people are seeing is that super high tech that is kept under wraps and we won't find out until like 40 years from now. And like, that's the meat of the conspiracy for stuff, you know, like, right. Well, and that's like the easy, the easy explanation for it too. Yeah. It's like the more rational one, I guess. And it's the one that, um, that I guess people, I, sometimes they like thinking about it. Sometimes they don't, but like, I like, I guess confirming it, I guess that, um, this is what's probably happening and it's still kind of shady and it's still kind of scary and still kind of ooh mysterious, but it's a lot, um, it's a lot more easier. It's a lot easier to digest than jumping straight up to the most crazy conclusion. <laughs> and I'm not saying that like you are crazy if you think this way, it's just like the leaps are very vast, I guess. Like if you yeah. see a light in the sky moving and like it moves erratically and people will go like, Oh, it's, it's aliens. It's UFOs, like alien UFOs. And who knows, maybe you're just next to an airbase, and that's a super, super secret stealth plane that you managed to just barely see, you know? And that's yeah, still scary. It be, and it's it still be, creepy. It would be so sick to have gravity propulsion. Oh, dude, it would. It would, which is exact. Oh, man, I want to talk to you of like the future of Alien Boy, but like I would talk for like forever because like I love all of these ideas and I love exploring all of them. And I want to explore them in this TV show like so badly because I love all of these ideas. Like I legitimately love all these conspiracies. Like I, I definitely come at them from a different lens now as opposed to when I was younger. But right. it's still that same type of like, but what if, you know, but what if it were real? Well, it's, it's super fun to explore those ideas. And again, like, like, I don't think you should take everything at face value and you should question it both ways. Like when I was younger, I used to for sure not believe in aliens. And then you just see a few things. And you're like, no, that's not the craziest idea. Um, and to me, like, I just, I think it's not the craziest idea and I want to believe. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't think it's the craziest idea either. I just, I'm just one of those people that tries to think about like, if then how so, you know, like if right. there is aliens, then how do they get here? And then with their gravity propulsion, yeah, and then you think about it and then you keep on thinking about it and then you keep on going down this like imaginary, um, imaginative rabbit hole. And it's, I, I like being there. I, yeah. 
it's, it's fueled so much of like who I am and what I want to be. Like, I just like imagining. I want to believe too. Right. Do you, so if you, in a world that you believe in aliens and say aliens were to come to earth tomorrow, do you think they would be nice or do you think that they would be threatening or uh, dangerous in some way? So in a world where aliens exist and they visit us, would they be nice or threatening? Um, I, I'm of the mind that they would be nice. Um, not necessarily because I, because I like to think the best in people, but because like it makes absolutely zero sense if they were threatening people, there is no reason to like reveal yourself or like be like, take me to your leader. Like if you're going to kill us, they're, <laughs> they're going to fucking kill us. Like, so I feel like if they like make contact in any way, um, it would probably be to reach out as like fellow, like beings of intelligence who want to, who are curious about other life, you know? Cause I feel like that's how right. we would treat aliens at least at first. At least um, at first. And then we can maybe go like the avatar route and oppress them. Like we do every other people. But like at first it would definitely be that curiosity, like, whoa, our worldview is shattered. This question is now answered. Are we alone? And the answer is no. And that shakes everything up. And I think that any intelligent being that has that ability will probably try to do that peacefully. I mean, cause like, like there's lots of movies where aliens come to take our resources and stuff like that. And that's so fucking stupid. Like um, all the resources that we have on earth are abundant elsewhere in the universe. And if, if they can travel through space and they can get to, water, earth to meet us, water. Yeah. Water is very common. Yeah. Water is actually very abundant in the universe. What uh, isn't abundant though is life. And that's, that's the thing. And that's the, maybe they're harvesting us. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. So, like, if if life is rare, then there's something about life that they're trying to connect with, you know? Like, maybe right. it's, um, like, purely, like, curiosity and ideological. Like, they just want to meet other life, like we, like a lot of people here do. But then, on the other hand, it could be, like, like a robot, like, uh, civilization that's like, okay, we're going to assimilate all of life into our, like mass consciousness because that's what they think they need to do with life you know and then there's the other aspect where it's like maybe people are just too afraid to reach out to life because it's terrifying and they don't necessarily know like we technically don't know what they would be like but no. um i think that they wouldn't be threatening like there's no point to being threatening like there's nothing that we can give them except like I guess technically competition for resources, but then at the same time, like there is enough in the universe, like there's nothing to compete over. Right. Well, if they have the capability of reaching us, they have the capability of reaching much greater areas than we can imagine in the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is exactly why, like they would have to come here for some, like, existential purpose and not necessarily yeah. like a curiosity physical. 
yeah like maybe they want to push their religion on us and be like yo follow Xanthu or something he is the one true lord i'm like okay this is gonna be weird but then at the same time it could be just like yo this is awesome like we found aliens and you found aliens and now we know there's life elsewhere in the universe that can that is intelligent that we can communicate with and that's amazing and beautiful like i always want like aliens to land on earth like that is one of my like happy thoughts like i want that to happen i would love to see that happen um because i feel like it would be something more optimistic than uh pessimistic because like we said if they can get this far and they can do all these things they could kill us instantly if they're going to do something with us and there is like zero point to enslave us because robots can exist and they can make them and it's just like if something bad happens it's definitely ideological um but if something good happens it's also ideological so right i like to hope i like to hope yeah yeah it's probably um would be super underwhelming than what like sometimes it's easy to make out something um extreme and then what i actually happens is underwhelming but it could go the other way as well yeah like technically i don't know but like i don't think it's underwhelming like if they came here on a mission of peace like because like you know like uh you saw arrival right yeah like the drama of that movie isn't that the aliens came in peace it's what humanity did about it and right that's kind of um what I think would be uh, the interesting part, like how to re-react to that. Like Arrival, I think probably shows a very realistic description of what might happen. Uh, the world trying to unite, failing to unite, and then going about their own ways. Um, and then somehow they also help us kind of connect with each other because that's probably what they had to do to get to where they are, you know, which is another planet. Yeah, well, I mean... It's easy to, I think that it's easy to think of aliens in a human-like essence. Like if we mm-hmm. want to reach another planet, that's what we need to do. We need to connect with our other humans and like the idea of, you know, government secret technologies. Like that's my issue. Like if aliens exist or if these technologies do exist, like... I would hope that they, for the sake of science, could be publicly known um, mm-hmm. um, and not over the fear of like another country finding it and killing us over it with it. Yeah. Um, but for the sake of exploration, for the sake of like technological advancements. Um, but that's not to say that like a completely alien creature that lives millions and millions of years couldn't develop to a point that it could do it like it could be lone. Mm-hmm. It's so alien that, but it is nice. To yeah. Um, which is also um, why I like, um, I don't, you should watch the expanse on Amazon. If you haven't, um, okay. the I'll premise throw, of, of that, um, do it. The premise of that, story that show the books um is 
that humanity discovers like an ancient alien trace. It's like a, it's what they call the proto molecule. And it's basically alien technology. Um, that's like eons beyond what humanity is capable of. And it's so foreign and so much bigger than us that, um, it, like it's 100% alien. Like it's, it is completely alien technology. Like it is unfathomably insane, complex, etc. And part of me like wonders like, what if that's kind of what like um, we run into? Like once we start exploring stars, like not like beings per se, but like the remnants of those beings, you know, like eras gone by. Oh, yeah. That would be both exciting and, and disheartening kind of, at the same exact time. Like, we're yeah. just too slow uh, in our advancements. To catch up. To, to reach them. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a sad thought. Um, I think we're reaching the two-hour mark, actually, um, pretty soon here. Um, when did we start the recording on this computer? Like 9.30-ish? Yeah, 9.30-ish. Okay. So then, Is aliens a good way to end it? Do you want to end it on aliens? I have no problem doing so, but I wanted to see, did you want to like just run through like the rest of our questions in like a speed round? Or did you want to ask one final question each and make that the like cap off? Let's do quality over quantity. All right. I mean, sometimes quality running through it makes for like <laughs> funny tidbits. All right. Then yeah, but I'm, I'm kind of boring. So <laughs> you're not boring. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, you asked aliens. So then I guess I'll start this question. Um, why do we make art? I don't mean uh, just like me and you. I mean like right. humanity in general. But then also you can scope it in to why you make art, I guess. Yeah. I feel like just expression of um, people want to find other people to relate to. People want to find empathy from other people. Like the artist wants to find empathy from other people as well as just an emotional release of um, whatever is inside of them, but also people consume art or look at art or experience art because they seek experience. They seek, um, they wanna feel something that they don't feel in their everyday life um, or they want to feel something that they do feel in their every life but from a different perspective um, like the human experience is so individual and art is a way of sharing that individual experience for me personally um, and my perspective on it why do you this isn't my question, but I'm just—I don't want to—I don't want to ruin it. Um, I have something else that I want to ask you, but 
why do you think humans make art? I think kind of like in the same vein, like to self-express. I, I know there's some like weird philosophy, I guess, that posits that art is all like sexual based, or you know, like people only made art because they wanted to, you know, get laid. And that it's really like it's like a it's peacock's feather. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like a peacock's feather. Like this is what humans do to attract mates and stuff like that. And like that's one hundred percent stupid. But like the concept is to make I to make people feel things. I think that's the ultimate goal of all art. Like even abstract paintings, like what they make you feel is very different than what like classical like landscape painting would be um, right. what they would be giving you the feels like when I look at abstract art I very much <sighs> I am not fond of abstract art um, <laughs> I appreciate it and what it is but I just don't like looking at it I guess because what I look at it when it seems to me it always like strangely enough it always seems like okay this douche canoe put a red line on a white canvas and now it's worth millions of dollars and that to me is ridiculous right and then but at the same time that could have been his intent he could have been not like art is anything art is like whatever the hell you decide art is like the value of it is whatever you take from it you know like i think that's worthless like to be honest like I would think that's worthless. Like if I walked into the thing, it's like, that's not worth that much. But then someone who isn't me would look at that and go, you know, that is worth a million dollars. I like yeah, it. But I, I think the issue there is that you're like attributing value. Yeah. To like a, a monetary value. Like if you were to take money out of the equation, would you see that differently? Well, that's that the thing. It is kind of the same thing. Like, cause if I looked at like a, I, this is a terrible example because there's probably is some famous art piece like this, but whatever. Like if I looked at that, I wouldn't feel much. I would feel mostly like, like why, why, why is this enjoyable? It doesn't um, like it, it, because it doesn't resonate with me personally. Right. Yeah. And but, if but it then, but then someone you... else, yeah. But then someone else could, uh, look at it and go wow this is amazing i like how this makes me feel yeah yeah i'm definitely of the group the latter group of um i do like abstract art and my perspective on it or my like um viewpoint as to why i like it is it just seems like a more raw form of like going like of not putting any filter in place of um like i enjoy listening to a lot of um like punk or heavy metal type of stuff where um there may not be as much of a filter or it may not be for creating the most perfect piece of music but creating the music that like is just how whatever you're feeling at the moment uh, regardless of how technically correct it is mm -hmm. um and so i see abstract as like a kind of a parallel to that area like kind of a parallel to 
more punk movement where it's like it's like breaking down the rules and breaking down the boundaries you know i just feel like getting this out of my system and like this is just in the moment what i feel and it's just like a really raw form of that um is how i interpret it like i'm obviously not gonna go out and spend millions of dollars (laughs) because i don't own have that to spend but i appreciate it and in that perspective no i can definitely see that too um which is kind of strange because like um like I I like I I especially with some of my more recent films I guess like or recent ideas I like breaking kind of like um I guess general rules of uh, filmmaking too like um when I when we uh like we pretty much when we made um my last CMF film um I had a goal plan set out and we had filmed like haphazardly like fucking nighttime um but like um having to reassemble that out of what used to be structure and make it more chaotic, but also more um, abstract too, I guess. Um, I think it find if I think it felt a little bit more clear what the tone and what I meant, what I wanted people to think. Right. Because you, because you broke the rules because you broke them down and, you you made it more about the thing itself than the conventions, I guess. Absolutely. And I think that because of how it turned out production-wise or how it, like, the actual process of creating that film, the challenges that we faced and just kind of how we adapted to everything, I think that film was very raw. Um, and I think that the environment that you create on set comes through in the final product. Yeah. It was literally just us like, all right, we finished another thing. We still want to make more stuff. Let's, let's just fucking do it. And then we did it. And you know what? I think, I think you may have pursued my perspective on abstract art a bit too, because like, I, I don't know. Like, you know, sometimes like I feel bad about it because I'm always like, this is, this feels like it was very effortless or something. Right. Or it feels like it took nothing from them or they didn't do any, they didn't put any thought into it. And then on the other hand, like it could have been painstaking for them. And I like, they could have been debating like, what are they going to do? And then eventually that raw emotion comes out and then, whatever comes out comes out and that's that yeah that's the art and one there's probably like a cultivation period or like a period of selection like i'm sure those artists have made thousands of paintings that they didn't feel resonated with them uh, after the fact as much that's true and you don't ever see those paintings but the ones that they feel most passionate about uh, are going to go out. And with everything, there's like laziness and like some people, <laughs> I'm sure, like I, I still see some stuff. I'm like, wow, that is just like a banana on a wall. Oh, yeah. 
And, and that's what, and that's where that fine line but, is because at the same time, like their whole point could be like art's ridiculous and it's supposed to be ridiculous. And it's like, ah, that's okay. It's like they're trolling, but at the same time, it's yeah. like 100% on the money at the same time. And I can't yeah. be mad, but I can be. And I think as long as like it comes back to, as long as you feel something when you yeah. look at it, then it's art. Um, exactly. And I feel it would be interesting to take art connoisseurs and portray, like have different abstract paintings in front of them and yeah. see which one they would value most and why. Yeah. And see if, cause I'm not the most, uh, I am not highly educated when it comes to the world of fine art or abstract art in that sense. So I wonder if there's any like, qualities that define. that they look out for yeah yeah like you like and maybe then, there's something about brush strokes that they see but i don't or maybe there's something about like the exact color palette that they see that i don't or something right or just utilizing new techniques mm-hmm. it's kind of an interesting um world of exploration yeah maybe our our next podcast we uh will just solely talk fine art well that's the thing i mean because like when i think abstract art i think of abstract i guess like fine art and stuff like that but there's plenty of abstract films and uh tv shows and other mediums like there's abstract music too um but whenever i think of the i guess the the art that i kind of like don't understand i guess i think i don't like abstract art because i don't understand it yeah Um, and it's always the fine like like it's in a gallery. There's a bunch of like rich people walking around a museum, like talking about something, <laughs> something that know? seems pretentious. And then that's the thing. Like, I'll never like, I don't know if I'll feel what they feel, you know? I, right. But in the same sense, there's things that you would feel that they, that they wouldn't, wouldn't resonate with either. Yeah. And it's like, so unique. Mm-hmm. I like that answer. As long as it makes you feel something or it's to make people feel something. Yeah. All right. My question for you is, um, what are some new areas of writing that you'd like to venture into next? Are there any like genres or new ideas that you'd like to explore? Or even if it's just like technique or approach that you want to take? Hmm. There's, there's, I guess, there's a lot of ways to answer this question, I guess. Um, like I recently, um, after talking to my friend um, and telling her about a, an idea that I had for a story, I decided I wanted to try to write that as a short story before making it into a script um, and to see how, how differently they would feel, you know, because, yeah. uh, because regardless of what, which way I write, I, the heavy points are always the dialogue between the characters and the actions that the characters take. Um, because when I envision things, it's always pretty much like on a film screen and I am directing all of the movement and I'm directing everything regardless of how I'm writing it. Um, like even if I write like a piece of dialogue in my notebook or something, I think about the face of the person saying it and the way that they're saying it. I don't write that down in my notebook because I know how it is. Um, so with a short story, it's kind of flexing my, detail muscles, I guess. Cause like, let's say I, I write into, um, 
I'm like when you write a script, it, it, it can't be as detailed or as heavily detailed as a novel or something else would be. And that's by design because it's not technically the writer's job to come up with what's supposed to be there. Um, but because I want to direct everything that I write pretty much, um, I want to know what would be there, like in the background, in the floor and the, how the panels would look like on like a sci-fi machine or something, how, uh, like things would look like without just focusing on the characters. Um, and so I've been venturing into the short story space to kind of exercise those muscles and it's still like reinforcing the uh, strengths that I already know I have, which is like dialogue and uh, characters, I guess. Um, so I've been trying to write that short story. Um, I actually I had a setback today um, writing that short story. Like I had written an ending um, uh, a couple of days ago that I really liked. And then I was re I was like editing it and I wrote like some really great paragraphs that I thought were like fantastic and profound and like super, um, uh, um, like profound. And I just thought they were beautiful, I guess. Like they were like, it was like writing that I thought was beautiful. And it's something that I can't do in like, a film without making that a character too, like like having someone do a voiceover of whatever I'm writing, right? Um, and that's like the one thing that I really liked about I'm liking about the short story is that um, the point of view is omniscient essentially, and then I can talk through that voice to the characters and the audience. And um, you can't do that really much in film without it being like a super meta movie. Like, um, what's that movie with Jim Carrey? The Grinch? No, the one where he's like in a movie set and he figures that out. Or a film set or something. Oh. Whatever that one is. <laughs> I can't think of the name. Someone will think about yeah. it later. Um, and it doesn't always... And it, it, scripts don't function like that. And movies don't function like that well. Um, it takes very specific ways to work around it. Um. But as I was writing this stuff, um, my dog came into my room and she hit the power switch on um, my computer's um, uh, power strip. And so my computer shut off and I lost like two or three paragraphs of really great writing. And uh, the document didn't save it. Um, Damn. And it sucks because like, I would like, as a writer, like I try to get into a certain headspace for stuff. And like the stories yeah, about like, um, uh, like us being alone in the universe and us, uh, never finding life while we're alive, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but then something happens and that changes and stuff like that. Um, and I want to spoil it because I want to put that short story out somewhere. Um, and it was like a very beautiful ending and beautiful, profound, um, beautiful and profound. And I was editing it and it's just, you get into a headspace because it's very, it's a very sad, um, it's a very melancholic ending. It's bittersweet. And for me, especially whenever I get into those kinds of emotions and I try to recreate them, um, it is wholly unique to that moment in time. Like if I write something in a, 
very lucid emotional state, I won't be able to recreate it in a very like neutral state. And I don't know if that's just me or if that's just the nature of art itself. Like if I'm writing something just to get like plot on the docket, like I can do that pretty much anytime. But if like there's a specific feeling that I need to impart, I inhabit that feeling completely. And it's like stream of consciousness onto the page. Yeah. And it's exactly like, I'm just transposing everything that I'm feeling onto there. Um, and so when I lost all that, I, it kind of, um, it pissed me off first and it's not like I'm mad at my dog. Like she doesn't no. know it's Doggy. not her fault. And there's a reason dogs are so cute. Yeah. And, um, and it's just, it's just kind of, um, tragic because I can't, I couldn't get those words back, you know, like, um, like I couldn't reimagine them because like, they just literally felt like they flowed through me onto the keyboard, onto the page. And now they're gone and I won't have a record of them even in my mind. And I think that sucks, but, um, definite bummer. But it's okay. I, I, it saved the document, saved a lot of stuff once I recovered it. And now I have autosave on. So now Smart. that happens again. It will autosave every five minutes, no matter what. And so I'll only lose five minutes of progress and not 30 minutes of progress. Um, Lesson learned. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and doing the short story is kind of like, helping me flex more muscles. Cause I've been pretty much for the past, like a uh, couple of months, I've been writing uh, feature films for the most part. And then also working on alien boys uh, show episodes. Um, like I finished a first draft of uh, transients. Um, so that was me uh, getting that down and finally getting it, the story laid out. It's pretty okay. shitty. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty shitty. Like it's, it needs a whole lot of work, but um, that's the point is that now I can work on it instead of, finish it you know exactly and that's it's, the that's the whole goal that was the whole point of it and then well, i love what you're saying too about like going back to short story writing and allowing yourself the more detail because script writing is so meat and potato um there's just no, there is flair to it. There is, and it's like a more broader stroke type of thing. Like how certain people, like it's much more plot based. And then you see different writers and how they think about plot differently and how they tell plot differently and how they like their way that they create characters and um, is such an amazing medium for being able to write in broad strokes mm -hmm. but then to get down to a more detailed level and really take your time and explore those because i think as you're referring to like that mindset while you're writing um i think everyone can relate to even if they're not writers that mindset where you just hit a, a flow state and you're not thinking about the words that you're writing down you're just writing them down um, can open up readers into what you're truly think, 
thinking or what you truly feel. And as like me reading the script, sometimes I wish there was some more abstractness into it. And it might not be something that could even be portrayed onto the screen, but that thought process of like, okay, how can we still take this and incorporate it somehow? How can we like use that to inform our decision-making? And it just gives me a better idea of like where the director, the writer is coming from. Um, yeah. Because go for it. Yeah. And that's kind of like the problem that I've had that I, I low key kind of had with transients was that, um, it is very abstract. It literally plays with um, like space and time and stuff like that. And the themes and messages and um, moods I want to impart on people when they watch it, I can't just write down in the script and say, and this is supposed to represent the blah, 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 blah. Because one, it's, I want it to be kind of like you, something you discover for yourself as you watch it as an audience member. But like, Mm -hmm. um, it's also something very complicated to write out in just a few bits of action dialogue of action. And then in dialogue between people talking and that was the problem that I noticed when I was writing is that, um, like not necessarily that it's like too big of an idea to make. Cause I think there's, that's a fucking stupid notion. There is no, idea too big to film it's just maybe you don't have the tools to do it yet like they're making dune and everyone was like oh you can't film dune and i'm like i'm pretty sure doom's gonna get filmed and it's pretty well, pretty cool it. yeah so like go fuck yourselves people um please don't uh, unless you like to <laughs> um but i mean like i for a long time too like i was i never satisfied either camp of like with the traditional writers because i always write like a lot of good dialogue and I focus a lot on dialogue because I love people talking. Um, and then my descriptions would be kind of like bullshit basically. But then on the other hand, like uh, one of the critiques that I've been getting from competitions is that in alien boy, I write a little bit too much and Mm. in my action dialogue. And that's the thing. Like I know that these are my stories and I know exactly how I want them to go. So I add a little bit more detail into alien boy than, uh, is I guess, common for scripts because those little details are what I think matter to me. And then when I write the short stories, that dialogue is super important to me too. Like if this dialogue wasn't there and if it wasn't like a page of people talking and pretty much saying they said after everything, it wouldn't be the same story either. Like it's just helping me flex different muscles. Absolutely. Um, right. And by flexing those other muscles, you can think about things different ways and it triggers areas in your brain that might not, you might not have used to think about that story. Like you're thinking about the same story in different ways. Yeah. And I think that writing a short story is this very similar to shooting a film in the sense of like, you do have to find all those details. Like when you're shooting a film, you need to pick the color of the tablecloth. You need to like decide what shirts they're wearing, where like that, none of that, most of that stuff isn't in a screenplay, but it comes to life in the film. Yeah. In the same way that it comes to life in a short story. Yeah. And then like you said about, um, 
learning different aspects of your story because I like, I know how I write. I write because I want to also see it like on the screen, like this short story that I'm writing, like I want it to exist as a short story, but then I also want to make it a short film. Like I want it to exist in that form too. Like I love the differences between both those mediums and same with alien boy, as I'm writing the script and writing the show, um, one of the things I kind of like emulate was like how it was growing up watching Harry Potter, but also reading Harry Potter and what that felt like. And then, so I was starting thinking like, could I also just like practice writing this out as like a traditional novel setting? Um, and just to flex the muscles and flex the story a bit too. Um, yeah. And sometimes if um, you're struggling with the, a screenplay because it is so broad sometimes like you just need to get in and create those little details to help you fill out the story and then that informs your screenplay later on yeah like um i heard quentin tarantino writes a bunch of random scenes that don't ever make it into the final shooting script because yeah. that's basically what he does he does the same thing that i kind of do he writes scenes for characters so he can understand them better um and so that makes like what the the skeleton that he's actually going to use um, more manageable because he knows who these people are and what's going to happen because of what he wrote that isn't being shown, you know? And mm -hmm. I really took that like advice or like that mentality too. Like I write random scenes that I don't necessarily think I'm going to put into anything, but help me understand my story better and understand my characters better. Right. And I've even heard that he will shoot uh, some scenes that he doesn't plan to ever put in the movie just so that the actors can better understand their characters. Yeah, and, and that's key. If only we all had the budget to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the hang up too. Like he, he's earned his reputation for good reason. Um, but we'll, we'll work on it. We'll One, see yeah. yeah it's not if it's when always exactly when not if okay gotta, that's like th cut, i cut you off oh i uh, just gonna say you just gotta put in the dues put in the time yeah and i think we've been putting in good work and good time i mean we've been kind of forced to not to but it's okay well people are consuming media more than ever and that gives me hope because like we're not technically essential or whatever, but like art is low key the reason to live. Like yeah. besides other people, art's like the next best thing. People would be real sad if uh, there was no more TV. Yeah. If, or like, movies. if there were, if Netflix servers crashed, people would be up in arms. <laughs> If there were no video games, people would be up in arms. If there were no music, people would be up in arms. And I love that about human aspect. I told my uh, friend that like human creation, whether it's through like our like ingenuity and engineering or whether it's through our art is like the pinnacle of what humanity is. Like what we create is what makes us, I guess, special. Right. I absolutely agree. Um, it's our, it's our talent as humans. 
Yeah. At least compared to like giraffes. Yeah, like giraffes don't have art. Fucking losers. Nah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Giraffes are not losers. They're cool animals. They're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, that's pretty much our time, I'm pretty sure. Um Awesome. Yeah. So that's the end of the show. Thank you so much for joining me, Michael. It's great talking to you. Thanks for having me. Have that a good was fun. Night. Yeah. We'll do it again. You'll be back on here at some point. Sick. When we've all grown and are hopefully out of uh out of this pandemic. Yeah. Are right. you um do you just upload it straight? Or um, are you gonna edit? I normally edit um an audition uh, i usually throw a filter on it to make it more um to get rid of background noise and to make my voice sound more podcast like um, but also to like take out any clips of like um uh like if something went wrong like really wrong like if like if like let's say we had skipped <laughs> like music my in. whole intro yes no. <laughs> you can leave that in I don't no that, yeah i'm gonna leave that in because it's i like it it's it's imperfect and we're imperfect and that's part of the thing. Uh, the only thing is that I still have to keep like my like intro and outro like semi-professional. The same. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like if we were using anchor and stuff like that, and it was cutting in and out randomly. Um, I would just edit those parts out and just pretend like it never happened. Gotcha. But yeah. Cool. And it's 1150. Yeah, Holy shit. <laughs> I know. If you could just take up. That whole bit about me talking about alien. Just kidding. No, I'm keeping that in. <laughs> no, keep it all in. Uh, um, I I can't walk. I can't listen to myself talk. So I'm not gonna listen to this episode. Trust me, I feel that. I don't think I've technically listened to any of my episodes after <laughs> I've edited them. Like I listen to them through when I'm editing them. Like 100. Like editing takes me a while, but um. After that, I'm like, all right, tired of my voice. But just yeah. make Brenda listen to it then probably. And then let her tell you what she thinks. Because uh, <laughs> Gabby definitely tells me. <laughs> yeah, best critics. Oh, yeah. So, but, uh, that I'll was let, fun. Yeah, I'll let you get some sleep. And um, as soon as Minecraft 1.16 comes out, we're going to play again. Just FYI. Yeah, hell yeah. I've been... Um, Doing some work for my parents. So my time has been doing that. But once one sixteen comes out, we got to hop on. Yeah. The netherite is going to be sick. Heck yes. All, All right, right, dude. Have a good thanks night. For, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. See you. Peace. I hope you all enjoyed hearing us talk. If you want to ask your own question or discuss something that either of us said or come on the show, send me a voice message through Anchor. There's a link at the bottom of the show page wherever you're listening. Or you can send me a message on social media at the Spoken Misc on Twitter and Instagram. Or you can post to my rudimentary subreddit r slash the Spoken Misc. Or you can follow yours truly at Friendly AA on everything. Thank you all for listening and I'll see you on the next show.